We've been praying for you this week that you would hear, understand, believe, and do the words of God that are unpacked for you this morning. We just got two sermons left in our field guide series, What Does It Mean to Be Jesus' People Together? Today our big word is hustle. The big idea we're going to press is that we're going to work really hard together. We're going to work really hard together. All right, before we hit the text, let me throw a continuum up here for you. When it comes to work, there's two different ditches that you can fall into. One over here we call slacker. You might have a better, a better Bible word for that. Sluggard It's how Proverbs hits it, lazy bones, couch potato, whatever your favorite word is. Some of us land over here when it comes to work. This might be straight laziness, barely working. You have a PhD in Snapchat and Call of Duty and Dr. Phil. Also in this ditch is busyness, uh, fake working, not doing the hard work of saying, I'm going to go after what really matters but I'm going to look like I'm working, but I'm not really. That's a PhD in procrastination. Living here will kill you. Some of us tend here, especially the young men in the room, especially us young men in the room. And this is the ditch that I'm hoping that this verse of scripture and this sermon today will chase you out of. On the opposite end is workaholic. This is the opposite imbalance. This is all work all the time, all work all the time. You may land there because you're driven by greed. I need more stuff, so I need more money, so I need more hours. You may be driven by pride. My status depends upon me working harder and achieving more than others. You may be driven by fear. I know what poverty is, and I'm not going back there. I'm scared. So I'm working 90 hours a week. Uh, If that's you, we're not dealing with that ditch today, but I want you to hear it so you don't take my words wrongly. If you need to be gospeled through this ditch, your gospel community can do that. The Spirit can do that. We would love to help with that. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? If you're a workaholic, you should put that text all over your workspace. Where we want to land is right here. Bang. Hustle. But not just any kind of hustle. Gospel-driven hustle. A people who hustle because of the grace of God. A people who, wherever there's work to be done, we throw ourselves into that work together. All right, let me start with a story. Seven Mile Road, the, the church plant, years ago, got started really fast. And by that, I don't mean it grew really fast. I just mean it started really fast. To simplify, here's how this happened. My pastor at the time asked me if I had ever heard of church planting. I said, no. He said, I think this is what it is. And he gave me a two-minute synopsis. I looked at him and said two things. Are you allowed to do that? He said, yes, I, I think so. And then, we have to do that. Two days later, we were in. Two months later, I had a pregnant wife, 
and I was working three jobs to piece things together for our home to see if we could get this church launched. I was teaching high school in Lynn in the morning. I was consulting in a business office in Revere in the afternoon, and then doing the work of church planting on weeknights and weekends. One of the things that I did early on was go to the clergy luncheons for the pastors, the clergy in the city of Malden, where we were planting. Have you ever gone to Plymouth Rock? When they come out in that clothes that's from hundreds of years ago, and they use words that are from hundreds of years ago, and they're like showing you what life was like hundreds of years ago? That's exactly what these luncheons were like. Except instead of the 1600s, it was like the 1960s. It was this time warp. It was so strange. Anyway, I go one time, and across from me is a full-time youth pastor at a church in the city that had apostatized, apostatized in the 1960s and was living off you know, the rancid fumes of endowment interest. You know how that works? That was this church's life. I'm here, he's here, folding table in between us. He looks at me, and he starts to complain to me about his workload. And he says to me, can you believe this? They have me doing both the high school youth group and the junior high school youth group. I almost dove over the table and just throttled this guy by the throat. You are being paid full time with Jesus's money to love and gospel teenagers, and you are complaining to me about it. Not a very holy response. Much better response would have been to befriend this guy, to say, hey, can we grab lunch together next week and talk with him, explore with him the goodness and the glory of working really hard. That's what I get to do with you today. One of the things that we're working on as a family of churches is how do we articulate to people who may want to come and be a part of a Seven Mile Road church plant the uniqueness of what we're trying to accomplish in the next 10, 20 years together. Here's how we've been saying this. This is at the core of what it means to be Seven Mile or to plant a Seven Mile Road church. Really hard work in a really hard place for a really long time. This is our sales pitch. Really hard work in a really hard place for a really hard time. I don't know why, but for some reason, people get it into their heads that doing the work of ministry is really easy. I'll prove it to you. How many days a week does a pastor work? A lot of people go like half a day if you only have a morning service. You work one day a week. Or if you, if you work more than just the one day when I see you doing this thing in front of me, what do you do? You prepare a sermon, you get coffee with people, you coordinate the water bottle delivery, you replace the toner on the coffee machine, you read theology books and blogs. Is this it? Is this it? That's easy. Sign me up. And then we think that being a church planting pastor is even better. It's not only easy, but it's sexy. You're a part of the cool new thing. You can wear the hip glasses. 
you only hang out with people who are movers and shakers and want to do church right. You get to office at Starbucks. It's easy and it's safe. No, gospel ministry is not easy and it's certainly not sexy. This is why we call it ox track and not diva track and not skinny jeans, soul patch latte track, ox track. Head down, hot day, heavy load, grind it out, do it again, do it again. This is how we train your pastors. We use two words, two Bs, beautiful, beautiful. And pastoring you folks is the greatest gift imaginable. Imaginable. Brutal. Pastoring you folks is the most brutal thing imaginable. Both at the same time. Beautiful, but you have to be prepared for the brutal nature of leading in Jesus' church. If you don't believe me, take this sunny afternoon, go read 1 Timothy, go read 1 Corinthians, go read Galatians, and you will see the nature of pastoral ministry. Really hard work. And we're doing it in a really hard place. Now, I know that this zip code is the seventh most popular in the United States this year. Did you know that? It got bumped from number one to number seven. So there is a sense in which everybody wants to live, for example, in Melrose or near a big city. There's another sense in which this is a really hard place. The welcome that you get as a gospel person is disdain or disinterest. Those are the two primary responses, disdain or disinterest. It's becoming harder to confess Christ in the public square. We all can feel that in a very, very blue state. Caricatures of the gospel run super deep. How many people have said the word Jesus to someone and realized the Jesus that they have been told about is not the real Jesus? And so we have to peel back those layers with people. People are all set in greater Boston. Many of them all set with money, all set with religion, all set with hobbies, all set with their health in the younger crowd. No sense of their need for the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Existing churches are very little help. Many of them are not centered on the gospel. Many are just trying to survive themselves. Many of them are asleep to the need to support church planters. If that's all not hard enough, it is wicked expensive around here. You know this, right? To lead and raise a family, grow a church. We're really close to locking down a space for Sundays in Waltham. Clint sent me over the rental agreement document, and I went, oh, no. That's a lot of money. And then about 15 minutes later, I went, wait, wait, wait. That's probably exactly right. This is probably what it costs to rent a space like that. Uh, we tell church planners, planning a church here with us is like doing your food shopping at a convenience store in Manhattan. Or at Whole Foods, either one. It's like that. $12.99 for a tuna fish sandwich? Have you been to every other city in the country? That's not what tuna fish costs. Really hard work. Really hard place to do gospel work. We love it. We wouldn't want to live anywhere else, but it's hard. And therefore, really long time. 
you know, we're raising money for the bigger movement, calling it the Catalyst Fund. I was meeting with the network director and he said to me, Cruz, how long is this run to viability till a church plant should be on its own? What is that, like two, three years? I gave him that Bostonian, like, are you out of your mind look? And then I said, seven minimum. Would you go home to wherever you're from and tell people it's seven years minimum to see a healthy, viable, financial, discipled church come into existence? Or we say it like this. We're not growing chia pets here. Does anybody in this room know what a chia pet is? Okay. It's this little plant thing and you put it on your shelf and you drop water on it and within a week or a day or something, it's got like this green afro. Boom, it just pops up like that. That's not what we're doing. But then I have to tell them, we're not even planting gardens here. How's a garden work? You do the hard work of a garden and within a year, you are eating eggplant, cucumbers, tomatoes. I, I tell people, if you come plant with us, we're planting forests. We're clearing the ground and trying to grow trees. And that doesn't happen in one cycle of the sun. Really hard work, really tough place, really long time. Okay, when we give that sales pitch to people, one of two things happens. Either they vanish. I mean, you can't even find them on Facebook or Twitter anymore. They're gone. Or they look at you and they say, I'm in. I want to do this. Help me do this. How do we do this? If that's you and you want to hustle like that, Acts 20, actually this whole field guide that we're writing up, should be the most exciting, invigorating, inspiring stuff that you have heard or read in a really long time. Because here we see a pastor, a team, and a church that are willing to work hard in a hard city for long enough to see some wild fruit. It has happened before. It continues to happen. It can happen with us. But we've got to hustle together to get there. Okay, remember the context of these words. Church planner Paul is rewinding what it looked like to see this church come into existence. He is giving them beautiful marks of healthy church. And one of those marks was this. This man and his team hustled. They hustled. He worked two jobs. Tent maker by day, a tradesman. Pastor, apologist, evangelist by night and Sabbath day, preacher. He did it for three years. He says he did it night and day without ceasing. The man sweated big time. He sums this big idea up in this phrase right here. He says, in all things, we've shown you by working hard that we must help the weak, that we must do our thing. In all things, we showed you that to be gospel people is to hustle, is to hustle. All right, let's just grab some big ideas from this one verse of scripture and the near context together. Here's your first one. Work itself is good. I work with seven or eight 50 to 60-year-old Roman Catholic Italianish women at my day job. I love them. I pastor them. They love me. They spoil me. It's this hilarious work environment that we have. I wish you could spend a day with me. Every single time the Powerball creeps over $200,000, do you know what happens in my office? 
Oh, they get giddy. They get wild about it. They all start buying tickets. They make the office buy tickets, and I'm terrified to not like throw in my $2. They have these conversations. My big, huge dream is to see the number on Tuesday at 6 p.m. and then send Cruz an email and say, I won't be in tomorrow and I'll never be in again. That is like the huge dream of their life. I say, okay, let's say that we all hit the Powerball and we all got 50 million bucks. What, should, what would you do? Nothing. I wouldn't do anything. I would be weighted on hand and foot for the remaining years of my life that I have. What's the assumption under that kind of a, of a Massachusetts lottery obsessed? I wish I just could just get away from work forever. What's the assumption? The assumption is that work is bad. That work is a necessary evil so that we can eat and pay the bills and have some measure of fun in life. If there was any way to not work, to just recreate video games, lounge and chill. That's the ticket. That's the ticket. Real joy is doing as little work as possible. Have you ever seen the signs up on telephone poles or the, the phrase in our culture about the two-day work week? Oh, that's nirvana for us. I could only have to work on two days. I totally fall into this when someone tells me, oh, I only work three days. It's 12-hour shifts. My immediate response is to go, that's great to shrink work down to as little as possible and to have more time for yourself. That's bad theology when I respond that way. I'm sorry if I've done that with you. You're all this way. Think of the calendar on your fridge. How many people take the big red highlighter and circle the four Mondays in the month? Who's ever done that before? What do you circle on your calendar on the fridge? The holidays, what else? Appointments. Payday. We do the vacations. Oh, there's the week where we don't have to work. It's in big highlights. I've never been in any of your homes, and I've been in all of them. I've never seen anyone with a big circle around the Mondays, vertically, on the calendar. That's a bad view of work. Let's do some quick theology. Here we go. The clear teaching of Scripture is that the one true and living God is a worker. What is the first picture that we get of God Almighty? He is at work. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit creating this breathtakingly, brilliantly glorious universe. That is the essence of work as God designed it. Not boring, monotonous, useless drudgery, but productive, creative, exhilarating, purposeful, meaningful doing. What is one of the commands that the Lord assigns to the human race as soon as he brings us into existence? He looks at Adam and he says, Adam, here's your garden, work it. He creates Eve and he says, Eve, here's your husband, here's your garden, come alongside him, be his partner, be his helper. And the two of you, Work it. Work it. Our race was not created primarily to vacation or shop, or surf the web, or play angry games, 
uh, Angry Birds games. That's, that's not why we're here. We were created to work, to look out at this world and to see our city, to see this church, to see this world, and to say, how could I make it better, stronger, holier, more beautiful, awesomer? And then take your hands, take your mind, take your body, and get to work. This is why God made you. Write a poem. Beautiful work. Run a pivot table. Do we have any freaks in here who get excited about that? Plan a Sunday song set to lead the people of God in worship. Lay some laminate wood floor. Install an electrical panel. Preach a sermon. Plow some snow. How about cure diabetes? How about repair a Rolex? How about change a diaper? How about coach a team? You feel this? There's life, vitality, energy, purpose in work. We don't have cable, but our family loves the Food Network. You know that channel? They just dig this thing. They could just watch it on repeat. One of the shows we got into a couple years ago is called Ace of Cakes. Love this show. First of all, I got a sweet tooth, so I'm like, I'd eat that, I'd eat that, I'd eat that, I'd eat two of those. Second of all, the guy who's the lead is a Northeast guy, so he's a riot. But the third reason that I love this show, it's so theological. This show is about people working and loving it. Working and loving it. They're coming to Chom City Cakes, and they're having a blast throwing themselves into their work. A work community, individual creativity, doing something good for the world and for others. Now, reality TV is not reality TV. You know this, right? It's fake, sort of, kind of, pretend reality TV. So they don't show you the hard parts of running it. You know, they never show the delivery coming and they never show uh, the fights that people have. Or if they do, they're really brief. They don't show the drudgery of the work. But that show should, should sit in our minds as one simple cultural artifact of work is good. Work is good. Paul says, in all things, my tent making, my preaching, I worked very hard. And that was not a waste of my time. All right, second big idea from this. All work is good. Paul gave himself to preaching the word and to making tents. And he says explicitly in all these things, explicitly referring to his teaching and his trade, in all things, I have shown you by working hard. Not when I was preaching and making disciples, then I was really doing valuable work. Then when I had to go back to the shop and work on the leather, man, I couldn't wait to get out of it. That's just secondary. No, in all of my work, it was all good, and I hustled at all of it. Every culture wants to put some type of work above another type of work. Every culture does this. At the time of the Reformation, it was secular work is better than, I'm sorry, sacred work 
is better than secular work. So if you were a priest, or you were a monk, or you were a nun, your work really mattered. Wow. If you were a shopkeeper, or a banker, or a homemaker, totally secondary. I'm sorry about that, but someone's got to do that work. The reformers came in with their Bibles and their canons, blew that secular sacred divide up and said, no, no, sacred work, secular work, it's all dignified. You bring as much glory to God washing dishes as you do preaching a sermon. Boom. The script is completely flipped in our day. Every mom and dad in the secular culture is terrified that their son will come home and say, I want to be a pastor. Every mom and dad in the secular culture is terrified that their daughter will come home and say, I want to be a missionary. Please know, there's so many better things to do with your life. The secular sacred divide has flipped. We also do this with types of work. In our day, manual labor, looked down on compared to other things you could have been. Oh, plumber, carpenter, electrician. All right, somebody's got to do it. What is the most shamed work that exists in American culture right now? Mom work. Nothing more shaming than to say, oh, I hustle at home with my kids. I dare you to say that to someone who doesn't love Jesus and his gospel and see where they immediately rate you in the hierarchy of work. In the life of Seven Mile Road, we will not tolerate this. All work is good work. All kinds of work is blessable by God. Now you got to qualify that we mean all lawful work, right? So the Puritans would say all legitimate work. So filming porn or counting cards or killing babies or producing the Country Music Awards. These are <laughs> illegitimate forms of work. But all work that is lawful work and blessable by God, all work is good, good work. We will not demean lawful work at Seven Mile Road. We will not demean the work of doctors. We will not demean the work of moms. We will not demean the work of electricians. We will not demean the work of nannies. We will not demean the work of engineers. We will not demean the work of pastors. All work is good work radically, radically beautiful gospel doctrine. All right, so all work is good. All work is good work. And here's our last one. Work is about God and others and me. My working is about God and others and me. This is not how you have been taught to think about work. How do you think about work? How have you been taught to think about work? Work is about me. That's it. I'm the only one on the radar with this whole work thing. Ask yourself how you would answer these questions. Why do you work? Why do you work? I guarantee you that your first five or six answers would be about you. I work to survive, right? I got to eat. I got to sleep. I'm over 18. I need clothes. I got to work to survive. Who's that about? I work to play. 
I got places I want to go, things I want to see, stuff I want to do. I need money in order not just to survive, but to recreate, to vacation. I work so that I can enjoy the world. I work to prove a point. They told me I could never coach in the NBA. They told me I could never do this or that. When I go to work, this is about me proving myself. I work to self-actualize. I work because I love the work that I do. It's a good thing. All of these answers, though, focus and center only on me. I'm the driving force behind my working. The Bible beautifully broadens that view of work and says, hold on. First and foremost, work is about God. The Reformers were also beautiful with this. They would say, we work first for the glory of God. Work is worship. It's God work. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day one time, and they were very upset because he was working and caused the man to work by lifting his mat on the Sabbath day. And they got on Jesus' case about it. And in his beautiful response to them, one of the things he said was, My Father is working until now, and I am working. In other words, Jesus rooted his doing, his healing on that day in the higher truth that his father not only created all things, but moment by moment was sustaining all things. And the way that Jesus could glorify his father and honor his father was to work hard too. That should always be your first answer to why do you work? Because my father works and I am working. I want to be like my dad. I want to honor how and who he is by being like him. He is a worker. I am a worker. He is glorified in my hustling. My father is working, and I am working too. If you have never thought of your work, your nursing, your engineering, your teaching, your plumbing, as bringing glory to your father, think first there. When I work, it's worship. And the second thing that, and, and that entire text just throws this out to you. Paul has such a Godward sense. I am innocent of the blood of all of you. I had a job to do before the Father, and I did it in worship. Second is that your work is about others. We say it like this. To work is to love. Have you ever connected those two dots? To work is to love others. My work is about the good of others. We call that the common good. Think about what you do and think about who it helps or it benefits or it serves. Any good lawful work that you do is lifting others up. It's moving toward them in love. In some of those things, it's so obvious in the room, right? Like if you haven't talked to Marvin about some of the work that he's doing with the disease of diabetes, you just marvel at what's happening there. Can you imagine what an act of love and common good it would be if diabetes was cured? That work's not just about him. That's about loving others. You've got people who work at Starbucks. Is that an act of love? You charge too much for the drink, but 
what an act of love to help someone begin their day or bring a family together over a cup of coffee. You can do that work and say, I am loving someone. We could walk through this whole room and pick out all the work that you people do. And if it's lawful, it's for the common good. You are loving others. Have you thought about your work as not just being about you, but being about the person next to you? And then lastly, absolutely, your work is about you. Praise God. He's given you work because he loves you. We do work for our joy. What's the word that we use for that? Work is a calling. It's a vocation. We would love to walk through this with you if you're just discovering who you are and how God has wired you and what you could put your hands in your life to that would spin back to mad joy for you. When you hear people in our culture say, find something you love to do and do it, there's something holy there. God has made you to bring him glory, to do good to others, and have joy by working really hard. And Paul points to all of these things in this text. I did this before the eyes of the Lord. In all things we have shown you that by working hard we must help others. So I work super hard. Okay, If this is true, if we're right about this, work is good. All work is good. All work brings glory to God, good to others, and joy to me. Can you now see why your Bible, from beginning to end, takes shots at slackers, rebukes the lazy, encourages you to hustle and to work? Being a slacker is not an option. We are called by God to hustle. Okay, let's say you're like, I got it. That's good theology. Now, how do I get there? This might be when you're expecting to me to raise my voice and get really on your case and say, so get more organized and go download some apps that help you be more productive and figure out what you want to do with your life and be a better time manager. All those things are great. But now I'm going to say to you the last thing and the most paradoxical, paradoxical, strange, surprising, gospel thing of the day. And that is this. The answer to being a person who hustles for the glory of God, the good of others, and their own joy is not more work, but it's more grace. It's not more effort, but it's more gospel. In other words, the holy hustler the middle of that continuum, is the person who works because they have gotten a taste of the grace of God. Here's how Paul says it. This is what Allison read before. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them. But it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Can you see that the center of this is the big idea of this text and this sermon? To be a Christian is to work hard, is to hustle. In fact, Paul's like, put me up against anybody, and you're not going to find anybody who can say they worked harder than me. I wanted the gold medal, worked hardest medal. That's what I wanted. And that's a good and a holy thing. But where does 
his hustling begin and end? Where is it birthed? Where does it culminate? What surrounds all of his night and day of working? Can everybody see it up here? It begins and ends in an experience of grace. That's where we want to live. So floored by the gospel of Jesus. So secure in our identity as being adopted sons and daughters of the Father. So guaranteed of our super bright forever with Jesus. So free from greed and pride and fear. So free from our identity being in what we do. So animated by, awed by, floored by grace that we begin to say, where's my plow? I'm putting my shoulder down and I'm doing it. All good that comes in the Christian life, even the good of work, is birthed in the gospel of grace. So if laziness or busyness or all about you is an issue, I'm calling you to believe the gospel this morning to see the love of God for you in Christ and to let that awaken in you a desire to work hard with us. It does not help our church to have a bunch of people who are grinding in their own power. It helps us to have a bunch of people who are so blown away by the grace of Jesus that they want to bring glory to God and good to others by working, 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 wherever the work needs to be done. All right, let's guide through some prayer together. If lazy describes you, let's just repent of that and take that to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. If busy describes you, I'm faking this, but I'm not really getting at the stuff that matters. Would you repent of that? If the first and the last answer that you ever give when you think about or are asked about your work it's all about you. Would you ask for forgiveness of that and vision to see the glory of God and the common good in your work? Father, we're here. We're ready to work. We need the grace of your spirit animating us. We need you to keep reminding us who we are in Christ and from that fountain to just explode out with diligence, vigilance. I pray that you give the people of our church, me first, a broader view of what it means to get up and work hard every day. I pray that you would be the one whom our sights are set on first and your glory. I pray that others would be on our radar and we would think, how does what I do love them? 
And I do pray that none of us would long for winning the lottery, but that we'd be just pumped about the next day when we can hustle. Would you work that change of heart in our church and invite others into it? And so the example of your son and the example in scripture. You're a good father. You've taught us to work. I pray that we would give ourselves to it. Hear my prayer and answer. Amen.